It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. There will be people who uh, don't want to leave the park. What the Vancouver Park Board says it will do to clear out the Strathcona Park encampment. And he's an inspiration to anybody who's going through a hard time right now. Inspiration in the form of a three-legged rescue goat named Gibbles who refuses to give up. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with a major search effort on the North Shore Mountains that has just been called off. There were fears someone may have been buried in an avalanche. Paul Johnson joins us live from search headquarters at Cypress Mountain with the details. Paul. Well, Colleen, uh, just a short time ago, I spoke with the search and rescue manager, Peter Haig, who says this is now one of the more peculiar operations that he's been involved with. And here's what happened. Around mid-afternoon, there was a guy who was up doing some backcountry skiing in the area between the Nordic area and the downhill area. And he came across uh, what was obviously the aftermath of an avalanche. And disturbing to him, he saw a single ski sitting on top of that snow pile. Obviously, the concern was somebody may have been buried under that avalanche. He called search and rescue, and a big operation got underway late this afternoon. Now, while they were up there searching, pictures were taken of that ski and were a little bit hazy on what exactly the sequence was. We think they might have gone online, and they ended up making contact with a young man who said, that's my ski. I was up in Cyprus a couple of weeks ago. I wiped out really badly, lost my ski, and I couldn't get it back. So the search ended up being called off as they were able to determine this guy was safe at home and nobody was buried in the avalanche. One observation at this point is this may be one of the most expensive ski retrieval operations in BC in a long time as they were using a helicopter at one point, snowmobiles, and a team of about 20 people up here. But they say they're very happy to do it anytime they think somebody might be in trouble. And it's really feels good to report a positive news story from an avalanche in mountain country here. Colleen? No kidding. Nice to have a happy ending to that one. Thanks, Paul. Students, their parents and staff at at least seven lower mainland schools found out this weekend a more transmissible COVID-19 variant has made its way into some of their classrooms. The schools are James Ardeal Elementary, Surrey Traditional, Tamanawis Secondary, AHP Matthew, Kwantlen Park Secondary, and Ecole Woodward Hill, all in Surrey, and Hellings Elementary in Delta. But as Grace Key reports, all of the schools will be open tomorrow. The fast-spreading COVID-19 variant first detected in the UK has been found in a growing number of schools. In Surrey, two classes and more than 20 close contacts were told to self-isolate at Woodward Hill. One class and 10 people at Tamanawa Secondary and three people at AHP Matthew Elementary. It's unclear how many at Quatlin Park Secondary in Surrey and Hellings Elementary in Delta may have been exposed. 
During an online meeting with Superintendent Jordan Tinney, parents at Woodward Hill were told affected teachers have gotten the rapid test and affected students would get the regular test over the next couple of days. We know that there was one case uh, that is the variant. We should have results by the end of the night and we will be notified what those results are, but we are expecting everyone to be pretty clear. Exposure letters were sent out earlier to the schools, but testing for the variant takes more time. While close contacts have been told to self-isolate and get tested, the teachers union says more testing should be done. So we do have some concerns that the testing that's underway isn't broad enough. And of course, with the variant at play, we think that there needs to be an abundance of caution taken and, and as many people rapidly tested as possible at those schools. The union says this reinforces the need for a regional approach to COVID safety protocols and districts should be given the authority to exceed the current health and safety guidelines if needed. But in the cases like Surrey, where we're seeing high level of, of uh, now the variant and we're seeing a high level of uh, school exposures, um, we think they ought to be able to increase those safety measures and, and currently they can't go above and beyond. In a statement, Fraser Health says the schools will remain open and work continues to identify any further variant cases. Grace Key, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, what's the state of variants in B.C. right now? Well, it started out very small. It's getting bigger and it's going to continue to get bigger in number. Nationally, more than 600 variant cases have been detected. It's expected to be the dominant virus in Ontario before too long. Alberta, again, many more cases there. In terms of BC, we don't have the high numbers that other provinces do, at least when it comes to Alberta and Ontario, but our numbers are increasing. Take a look at this. This is the numbers as of last Friday. Uh, we started out on February 1st with 18 cases. Then uh, uh, less than two weeks later, 46 cases. A few days later, 60 cases. As of Friday, just three days later, 72 cases. The vast majority of these are the B117 variant. That's the virus uh, originated in the United Kingdom. Uh, a number of others are the B1, uh, B1351, which is originally associated with South Africa. I don't think that 72 includes that Nigerian uh, variant that was discovered last week. But again, we're going to get an update on these numbers, Colleen, in the coming days, and you can be sure they're going to go up. Ontario, again, uh, more than almost 300 cases in Toronto alone and they're expected to become again the dominant COVID-19 virus in that province and BC again is not immune to this and you can be sure the hot button issue of variants in schools is going to be a rising dominant issue this week and next week and the following weeks if the variant numbers start to increase in certain schools. All right Keith thanks for that. Parishioners at three Fraser Valley churches continued to defy the province's health orders and held in-person services today, four days after a B.C. Supreme Court justice dismissed the B.C. government's request for an injunction. Congregants walked in freely to attend Sunday services at three churches. At least one police officer was seen entering the Free Reform Church in Chilliwack, but left soon afterwards. On Wednesday, a Supreme Court justice cast doubt on any injunction if it was really necessary or effective to ensure enforcement without the backing of the B.C. Prosecution Service. Lawyers for the churches say the restrictions are arbitrary and discriminatory, forcing churches to close while secular activities remain open. But the provincial health officer says the rules still apply to them and officials have seen transmissions in these settings. Next month, the charter challenge on the issue begins in court.
An Edmonton area church held in-person services today, even after its pastor was arrested for defying COVID-19 restrictions. The RCMP say officers and Alberta Health Services observed that Grace Life Church held a service that exceeded provincially set gathering limits. Its pastor, James Coates, was arrested last week and remains in custody for refusing to agree with bail conditions. The man accused of operating a makeshift nightclub inside a Vancouver condo will be in court tomorrow and he's now facing a new charge. 42-year-old Mo Movasagi was taken into custody on January 31st when the VPD served a warrant on his penthouse suite. Police say he was hiding behind a chair among 77 people, none of them wearing masks. The VPD handed out more than $17,000 in fines and said the suite appeared to be operating as a nightclub and show lounge, complete with a stripper pole. Movasagi was charged with two counts under the Public Health Act for hosting an event and permitting an event. He is now also accused of unlawfully purchasing grain alcohol. He was released on conditions including to have no parties and no alcohol in the penthouse. UBC scientists say there could be an unintended consequence of using all that hand sanitizer and antibacterial wipes that have been necessary during the pandemic. Microbiologist Brett Finley says a lack of microbial diversity is linked to conditions including obesity, asthma, as well as cardiovascular and brain diseases. Finley and his colleagues are recommending that while still being safe, people should be getting outdoors, eating a healthy diet and having physical contact with members of their household and their pets. In response to the impact of the pandemic, the city of Vernon made a parking change in hopes it will help people shop more locally. It set up 10-minute loading zones throughout the downtown in order to facilitate curbside pickups. As Megan Turcato reports, the pilot project is so successful, the city's already looking to extend it. For nearly a year, local shops and restaurants and their customers have had to adapt to a new COVID-19 reality, where distancing and limiting contact is critical. So a winter pilot project in Vernon is aiming to make it as easy as possible for businesses to offer curbside pickup by creating 10-minute pickup parking zones throughout downtown. We take all the measures we can to keep the store clean, but there are some people who still do feel uncomfortable. So we want to accommodate that as well. So I found it's been really helpful. We probably get about four to five orders a day through the phone. In particular, the grocery says the loading zone is a big help for their elderly clients. Having them just be able to park here and even wave at us through the window has been so much easier for them. It's been really helpful. The loading zones are also getting positive reviews from this nearby bistro. We've definitely seen uh, an uptick in, uh, in takeout and a lot of people taking advantage of, of those spots specifically because they are usually open for you if you're needing to come in and out of downtown really quick. The loading stalls do take away from the number of parking spaces available for those looking to shop and some businesses say they haven't seen a benefit. We're not bringing a whole lot out to people. Um, for, so for our business specifically, it doesn't really affect us all that much. But overall, the city says it's heard overwhelmingly positive reviews about the curbside pickup areas from downtown businesses. So this week, the city will consider extending the pilot project past the end of February. Megan Turcato, Global News, Vernon.
The Vancouver Park Board has taken a major step forward in Strathcona Park and says it's committed to helping the province meet its deadline to get homeless campers into housing. As Kristen Robinson reports, the plan is to prevent another tent city from popping up in a public park. The line is drawn. The west half of Strathcona Park closed to campers. More than a dozen people sheltering there, either moving to the east encampment or into housing. The park board on track with the province's goal to get all of the up to 200 inhabitants wanting homes inside by the end of April. We do anticipate that once folks are housed, there will be people who uh, don't want to leave the park. Uh, at that point, we would seek an injunction. There's no question that it is, it is not a, a safe uh, place for people long term. Although things have been getting worse year over year of late, um, that certainly doesn't have to continue. Julian Summers wants to see recovery-oriented housing with supports implemented in BC communities. It doesn't cost any more at the individual level to do what works. The SFU Health Sciences professor says his research shows matching the estimated one to 2,000 people considered the hardest to house with resources to meet their needs and goals gets results. Immediate reductions in crime, reductions in emergency department visits, and far superior housing stability so people move in and remain in their homes. With Oppenheimer and now Strathcona, many are wondering how the park board will prevent a repeat at another public park. That is the, the million-dollar question. Going forward, Donnie Rosa says rangers will be partnering with police to enforce the park control bylaw in order to avoid entrenched encampments. Folks can uh, shelter overnight, but they have to pack up uh, in the morning and, and leave. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A house fire in Vancouver shut down a portion of Fraser Street last night. Heavy damage, all three main floors. Heavy fire, smoke, water damage. Firefighters arrived at around 6.30 to find the basement and main floor fully involved. The flames extended to the attic of the home on Fraser and 35th. There's no word on what sparked the fire. Fortunately, no one was hurt. Upon arrival, all the occupants were on the front yard uh, and nobody was inside during the fire. Uh, the house was vacant. People had uh, evacuated before our arrival. A 38-year-old woman charged in a road rage incident is set to appear in Nanaimo court on Tuesday. Amanda Arlene Jones was arrested at Westwood Lake last August after a bizarre chain of events. Police allege a senior driving with her husband on the Nanaimo Parkway was punched by a woman who then tried to run over a pedestrian in front of the Jingle Pot pub. The suspect allegedly climbed onto the lifeguard tower at Westwood Beach and sprayed a liquid on an officer. Jones is accused of assault and dangerous driving and, of course, obstructing, obstructing a police officer. The cause of a significant power outage in Vancouver's West End last night might surprise you. And we had a balloon uh, go up and touch the line, aluminum balloon, and it dropped a, a burnt a phase down to the ground. Have you seen that happen a lot lately? Uh, it happens occasionally. It's kind of a rare thing, but it does happen. The red helium balloon came into contact with hydro wires just after 6 o'clock, causing a transformer to explode and putting more than 33,000 customers along the Nelson Corridor in the dark. BC Hydro restored power five hours later.
Italy's Mount Etna erupted again today, spewing lava and sending up plumes of ash. It has erupted for the last four days in a row. Italy's scientists say the powerful eruptions of this, the highest active volcano in Europe, sent torrents of lava pouring from its southeast crater. Clouds of debris rose several kilometers above the summit. Etna is well, normally a popular tourist destination in Sicily, attracting hikers eager to see the extraordinary lava flows. One of the women at the heart of the allegations of inappropriate behavior made against Canada's former top soldier is speaking out. Global News first broke the story earlier this month, including claims General Jonathan Vance was involved in a long-standing intimate relationship with a subordinate. Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson has the story. Kelly Brennan is a soldier, is a woman, and... I want to say she's a warrior with lots of scars. Kelly Brennan says the time has come to tell her story. A major in the Canadian Forces, Brennan says she and General Jonathan Vance were in an intimate relationship while he outranked her and while he led Canada's military as chief of the defence staff in violation of the military's rules. Brennan says that power imbalance meant she felt she had little choice but to go along with the relationship. Was I... Participating in it, yes. Could I say no to him? No. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because if he rang me on the phone or if he texted me, I was obliged to get back to him. Um, if he asked to see me, I had to drop tools and see him. Brennan says Vance called her repeatedly after Global News broke the story earlier this month, telling her to cover up the sexual nature of their relationship. He gave me barriers when I could say what, that yes, I could say that we had a relationship engaged on. No, I couldn't say that we had a relationship after that, that we were just friends. He was giving me what to say. And I kept on asking him, don't you understand you're asking me to lie? Brennan says she hopes her story will shed light on the barriers that victims of sexual misconduct still face in Canada's military. Vance is under investigation by military police after Global News reported allegations of sexual misconduct. He has denied all of the accusations. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Ottawa. New travel restrictions take effect as of 9 o'clock Pacific tonight. Anyone flying into Canada must quarantine for up to three days in a hotel on a designated list. But as Abigail Beeman explains, many complain the price tag and the tight rules are unfair. Boris Statnikov lives alone in Israel. His wife died last year. He's recovering from double hip surgery and he needs his son's help. Three days additional, uh, un those restrictions, they don't help. The, the government doesn't help in this case at all. It's just another burden. Dmitry Statnikov will travel from Ontario as soon as Israel opens its borders, but he's not pleased about the up to $2,000 cost to stay in a hotel when he returns, saying he also has his own health issues that make eating delivered food impossible. His wife, a healthcare worker, questions the medical necessity of a hotel quarantine. In Canada, it's a land of immigrants. So eventually something happens and you just need to go. Not because you want to spend a, a week in Florida, it's really because you need to take care of your family. As of Sunday at one minute to midnight, all returning international air travellers will have to quarantine until they get a negative test result, which could take up to three days. The government has approved 14 designated hotels so far.
our government has been extremely clear that very few exemptions will be um, consented to, and they're really related to essential travelers. It was very inconvenient, having to wait on hold for three hours. It took travel expert Claire Newell that long to get through on the government's booking line. Some sort of sustainable uh, or reasonable approach for those who are on work visas or international students um, and those who are vaccinated. None of those have been addressed. International students like Gabby Bolding facing an expiring visa in Scotland. After launching this petition and going public with her story, someone offered to pay her hotel bill. She's still advocating for others. Most students have nothing to their name and financially throwing on something like that that they haven't planned for is extremely difficult, um, especially to people that don't have the choice to get out of it. Travelers entering by land do not need to stay in a hotel, but there are new rules for them, too. In addition to the COVID test results they have to present at the border, starting Monday, they also need to take two more tests, one upon arriving and another 10 days quarantine. They'll be given a test kit with instructions and a courier will pick it up. The federal government is paying for that. The United States has reached the grim milestone of 500,000 COVID-related deaths since the start of the pandemic. According to the Department of Veterans Affairs, it's more than double the number of Americans who died in battle in World War II. The U.S. now has more than 28 million confirmed cases of COVID-19. California has been hit the hardest with more than 3 million cases and more than 49,000 deaths. United Airlines, along with two airlines in Japan, are voluntarily grounding the Boeing 777 aircraft after one of the passenger jet's engines disintegrated over Colorado yesterday. We're now hearing from passengers who were on that flight and from people who were on the ground where the debris landed. Mayday, mayday. Tonight, new questions into what caused the terror in the skies. Hey, aircraft, uh, just experienced uh, engine failure, need to turn immediately. Well, it's terrifying. You could just feel it, like, boom, and you could hear it, and you just, we started shaking. An engine failure on a United 777 from Denver en route to Hawaii. 241 people on board. So the engine was on fire and there was smoke coming out of it. So uh, I told my wife that the engine was gone and she got up and looked out the window and uh, was a little bit panic stricken. Panic and fear turning into relief. The plane landed safely, but tonight, a source familiar with the investigation tells NBC News that a fan blade inside the engine broke off. Half of another was gone. And one of those parts separates. It can cause a chain reaction inside that engine nacelle that can really do some damage. Aviation experts say one of the biggest questions is why the exterior structure of the engine flew off. This is a bit troubling because the structure should still remain attached, even if you have a fan blade failure. It's just dropping that failure caused debris from the plane to scatter throughout several neighborhoods outside of Denver. We looked up and there is a ton of black stuff falling out of the sky. And at first it looked like confetti. All of a sudden I heard a big boom uh, and the house shook. Parts scattered across fields and streets, even causing damage to some homes. I'm going like, what is that? So uh, I get up and look at it, and I, I see right away it's the front end of an airplane engine. NTSB investigators scouring the area, collecting evidence, trying to solve the mystery of the malfunction and prevent it from happening again.
go for it. There we go. The dog that likes to paint. Oh, we're going to show you this story right after Yvonne's forecast. <laughs> so cute. Can Sorry. I purchase those? Are those up? I, you know what? You can. <laughs> okay, good. Good. <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait. All right, Colleen, uh, we managed to see a few breaks, depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver. We're actually going to track a wave of rain for this evening. We're out of the clear just yet, but there is a nice break and some sunshine in the five-day forecast, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. Great shot. This was captured in Crescent Beach, so thank you so much, Orlando. We're still sitting into the double digits today. We climbed up to 11. We're at 10 degrees, but it is breezy out there with a southerly wind right now sustained at 33, and we've got gusts just over 40 kilometers per hour, and it'll continue to be windy even as we get in through the day tomorrow. Double digits for many spots across the province today, even seeing that for the interior with Kamloops up to 13, Williams Lake up to 10, and areas near Victoria today topping out at 12 degrees. Now we are looking at some moisture and this is the wave. We're seeing it across the island. It's heavy at times, especially the areas that we're seeing in yellow, and that's going to move across the West End and for Metro Vancouver. We have the potential to see this wave of rain and 15 and up to 25 millimeters, but for the Fraser Valley, there's the potential to see 20 and up to 30 millimeters as we get in towards the evening. Now here's a quick glance at the future cast and what we're tracking overnight into the morning hours. Still seeing that rainfall. It should start to ease off though uh, for our Monday morning. We're just looking at a chance of showers and some breaks in there for tomorrow and then plenty of sunshine as we get into both our Tuesday, Wednesday. Mountain passes however still seeing a significant amount of snow on the way for this evening. Now we've seen the snow level rise through the day with that warm front but we've got a cold front in behind and it is going to intensify Wednesday again some of the snowfall totals that we are tracking and this continues in through the day tomorrow and the concern will be along the Rogers Pass where we still do have a winter storm warning and the potential by tomorrow night could be up to 35 centimeters so do check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions but we're still tracking a significant amount of snow for higher elevations some instability tomorrow and that'll be along the north coast and stretching in towards the central interior with the chance of showers and even the risk of a thunderstorm it'll change over to rain for areas in Inland, a bright spot across the province for the northeastern corners, areas near the Peace. Columbia and Kootenai could still see that rain in the morning hours and then easing off to a chance of showers for the afternoon. Thompson Okanagan will just see a chance of showers and that'll be for the morning. South coast, so we are going to still see a few isolated showers in the early morning hours. We hopefully will see drier conditions by the afternoon. Windy over the next few days, but some sunshine, Colleen, for both our Tuesday, Wednesday. Temperatures pleasant too. Highs closer to 7-8. The next round of rain, that's not until Wednesday and leading in towards our Thursday, Friday. How did you know those are my two days yes, off? Perfect. Yes, perfect. Yes. I did. I planned it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, an Edmonton artist is making a name for himself with his abstract paintings. Art lovers around the world are trying to get their hands on the latest works. Hunter is a painting pooch. The Shiba Inu loves learning new tricks and trying new things. His owner, Denise Lowe, taught him how to hold a brush. She helps with the color selection, but the rest is up to him. Hunter has gained quite a following on social media with buyers snapping up his paintings from all over the world. Initially, I think the like most of the paintings we were sending to were from um, the states. People in the states really enjoyed him. Um, but honestly, after a while, like um, Europe, Asia, like all over the place, like like they just kind of I don't know. Like I think it's just like that positivity that like touches like um, like touches people. 
Aw, Hunter can apparently also stack rings on cups and he puts away his own toys too. But yeah, Yvonne, if you want one of those paintings, you're gonna have to compete with international buyers. Jeez, I just thought it was local, but that's all right. No. Put my name in the hat with everybody else. You'll need to. And I heard if there's any slobber from the dog on the painting, it goes for doubles. Oh, oh for sure. You go, yeah. Okay. You know when he sure. really yeah. puts, puts that into it. You Why know? not? There is an animal sanctuary in Langley that shows love to all creatures, great and small. Animals others might write off as unwanted or simply not worth the effort survive and thrive there. And in return, we all get something back, as you're about to see. This is Gibbles the goat. And he's just such a happy little fellow. And as you can see, he's a little different. He's adapting. Unlike most of the 60 animals the Happy Herd Animal Sanctuary has taken in, Gibbles wasn't abused nor neglected, but he was in poor shape. He had a dislocated hip, so we operated on that, and he started to use it and walk like a normal animal. And over the last period of a year and a bit, he started hobbling on his left front leg. We x-rayed it and found out he had massive... Um, arthritis in the shoulder and then a week and a half ago he was headbutting and playing with a little lamb that's smaller than him and got headbutted and broke his humerus. The Langley Animal Hospital tried to save the leg but couldn't. A choice of euthanize or amputate. Because he had gone so well with the first surgery he's got such a positive attitude we're giving him as long a life as we can. Five days later, come on, let's go, come on. He's an inspiration to, you know, anybody who's going through a hard time right now. He's managing on all threes. There you go, Gibbles. Easy peasy, huh? The sanctuary, however, is struggling. The pandemic means visits are down and so are donations. But that isn't stopping the happy herd. When you love your animals, you know, you want them to be happy. So sweet. An amazing rescue in White Rock this weekend where a tiny dog was pulled to safety after being trapped for more than 40 hours. Wade Deesman heard a dog barking on Friday but couldn't immediately figure out where the noise was coming from. The next morning, the same dog was still barking. So he went outside but couldn't track down the sound. Later, the noise returned and this time the dog barked when he went out to investigate. It appeared to be coming from under his back deck. So he crawled underneath and discovered a small enclosure at the top of a muddy climb and started to dig. I was shouting and I could hear the dog. I could hear that there was a dog there. I just couldn't see it. I quickly removed a few more boards. I still couldn't see into there and I grabbed my phone at that point and I turned on the flashlight, turned on the flashlight and sure enough, there I could see the dog's eyes staring right up at me. So finally I just, I had a pruning saw and I used the pruning saw to, to, um, to cut one of the joists. And I was able to cut a space wide enough open so that I could get down there. And then finally, I actually dropped something down there so that I would, that I could stand on so that I wouldn't get trapped down there myself. I was, yes, surprised and, and, and delight, delighted beyond words. Uh, uh, yeah, he said, uh, his words were, I think I have your dog. Oh. That's Callie. Callie's owners live one block over from Deesman and say their 10-year-old Karen Terrier escaped their backyard at around dinner hour Thursday. The big adventure that landed her in a hidden well lasted almost 44 hours. We're glad everyone is safe.
Barry's here with sports. Barry, when is the Stanley Cup? Stanley Cup should be handed out in July. <laughs> you know, July, hockey, Stanley Cup, it makes sense. Yeah. It's okay. getting better. Last year it was uh, August, right? Right, so they're, they're right. Getting Moving it up. slowly back to normal. <laughs> All right, thanks, Colleen. The Canucks and uh, Jets complete their two-game set tonight, 7 o'clock at Rogers Arena. Pierre-Luc Dubois will be in the Jets lineup tonight. He's missed the last four games due to injury. He's only played two games for the Jets since being acquired from Columbus nearly a month ago, but the Canucks are more focused on themselves. After being shut out Friday, they need to get the offense in gear. Elias Pettersson has just one goal in his last Eight. Scorers got to score. I mean, there's always pressure on top players to score in the league. Uh, that's why they get paid a lot of the money because uh, there's a lot of pressure on them, and they want it. They they want to score every night. That's uh, any team that those top guys. They're hungry to score. They love scoring. Uh, in a perfect world, you've got a combination of your bottom guys and your top guys scoring every night. Doesn't always work that way. Lake Tahoe outdoors again, this time Flyers and Bruins. This game moved from an early afternoon to late afternoon start for better ice conditions. Spectacular setting in the mountains. Bruins get on the board just 34 seconds in. A two-on-one break. Brad Marchand to Dave Pasternak, 1-0 Boston. And as you can see, that bright sun, a bit of an issue for the players and the goalies. But that's outdoor hockey. Philly answers Joel Farabee taking advantage of a crazy carom off the backboards. Makes it 1-1, beating Tuka Rask. Flyers went up 2-1, but then the Bruins will tie it. Charlie McAvoy with the point blast. Screenshot beats Carter Hart. 2-2 after one, and then the Bruins really busted open in the second. David Pasternak, second straight period. He scores in the opening minute. What a quick release that was. The Bruins have stretched it out 6-2. They're just about to start the third period. Also tonight, Brendan Gallagher and the Canadians visiting the Senators in Ottawa. Pick it up, third period, tied 1-1. Point shot deflected by Josh Norrie. Up and over, Jake Allen. 2-1 Ottawa leads, but the Canadians tie it with just over five to play. The veteran Corey Perry going to the net hard. That's the way you do it. Jams it in 2-2, but Ottawa has just scored the overtime winner, so the Sens get a rare victory 3-2. NBA tonight, Raptors and 76ers. Philadelphia leading the East with a 20 and 10 record, but Toronto has won eight of their last 11. Off to a cold start shooting until this. Freddie Van Vliet beating the shot clock with the 38-foot bank shot. 16-0 run to close the quarter. Raps led 28-24. Then Van Vliet to OG Ananobi for the jam. Sixers, though, led 55-52 at the break. Third quarter, Big Ben Simmons taking this one the length of the floor, throwing it down with fury. Simmons with 20 at that point. Raps fell behind by 11, but Canadian Chris Boucher got on a roll from distance, hit five of six from three, ties it early fourth quarter. And then off the turnover, Terrence Davis on the run will find DeAndre Bembry for the flush. Bembry has been a surprise. He's been fantastic the past couple weeks. Wraps by three. And then more great defense from Boucher, who will stuff Joel Embiid under the basket. Third block of the night for Boucher. Wraps impressive win tonight. Beat the Sixers 110-103. They're now 16-15. First time this year Toronto's been over 500. 
Before we get to the Australian Open men's final, another injury setback for women's world number eight, Bianca Andrescu of Toronto. She has pulled out of her next three tournaments with a leg injury. Her agent says this is not a serious injury, but they are trying to manage a long season ahead and they want to get ready for a big tournament, the Miami Open at the end of March. Andrescu lost in the second round of the Aussie Open after a 15-month layoff, but she did play four matches in four days at a tournament this past week in Melbourne. Looked pretty good. She made it to the semifinals. All right, bright and early this morning, our time. Aussie Open men's final between world number one, Novak Djokovic, and number four, Daniel Medvedev of Russia. Djokovic has won the Aussie a record eight times. Medvedev on a 20-match win streak. Something would have to give. Tight first set, but Djokovic with the forehand winner would prevail seven games to five. And then Djokovic just took over. Medvedev started making a slew of unforced errors, and Djokovic just played solid. Drop shot winner here at the net. Medvedev, you can see it, was out of sorts, was rushing things, and Djokovic just uh, kept up the pressure. Deep return on set point, one of seven breaks of serve. 6-2 to Djokovic in the second, more of the same in the third. Djokovic running Medvedev all over the court. This was surprisingly one-sided, but credit Djokovic. He controlled all aspects of the match. And then on match point, Djokovic, obviously not bothered by that abdominal strain suffered last week with the awkward overhead winner here. And Djokovic wins his ninth Australian Open title, 7-5-6-2-6-2. That's Grand Slam title number 18. Federer and Nadal are tied at the top with 20 apiece. But once again, Djokovic rules the Aussie. Final round of the Genesis uh, Invitational from Riviera Country Club in L.A. That's Sam Burns. He had a five-shot lead after two rounds. It was down to three entering the final round, but uh, the young man crumbled down the stretch. Three bogeys on the back nine. He ended up in third place. Tony Finau, second place finishes in his last two starts. Tee shot on the par 3 16th. This is a great shot. Such a good iron player Finau would make birdie post 12 under has the lead Finau with 20 top fives since his one and only PGA Tour win back in 2016 everyone wondering when he will break through California boy Max Homa tied for the lead uh, playing 18 hits this fantastic approach on the 18th to three and a half feet so Homa has a short birdie attempt for the win but he will Miss it, and we need a playoff. Ooh, a tough one, but Homa recovers. He was already in with par on the second playoff hole when Finau misses his par attempt. So Max Homa gets his second career PGA Tour victory. Nick Taylor finished tied 20th at three under. Adam Hadwin tied 26th at minus two. Premier League, Kevin De Bruyne in first place, Man City, taking on Arsenal. Just a little over a minute into the match, Riyad Mahrez. Perfect cross to Raheem Sterling, who heads it home, and that was it. The only goal of the match, City downs Arsenal 1-0. They lead Leicester City by 10 points as Leicester downed Aston Villa 2-1. And we'll also show you Man United trying to keep pace, taking on Newcastle. United strike first, half-hour mark. Marcus Rashford doing it all himself, cuts in and rips one into the corner. 1-0 Man United. Second half now tied 1-1. Daniel James with the game winner as United take it. 3-1, to one, they remain second, 10 points behind Man City. Scotty's curling from the Calgary bubble, defending champ Kerry Einerson playing as Team Canada, taking on fellow Manitoban Beth Peterson. She's one of three wildcard ranks in the 18-team field. Einerson, final stone of the 10th. Fantastic double here to score one. She wins at 6-4 to improve to 2-0. BC's Corinne Brown of Kamloops got thumped, 14-5 by Jennifer Jones of Manitoba. So BC is now 0-2.
Colleen, back to you. Okay, uh, we just want to, before we get to uh, the Alex Trebek story, um, we have received clarification on the list of schools with the B117 variant. The school district now says Kwantlen Park was originally on the list, but the case was never on school grounds when infectious, so there is no exposure there. So there's some clarification there. Uh, now on to the story. We lost him to cancer late last year, but Alex Trebek won't be forgotten anytime soon. And now his natty wardrobe is helping job applicants get back into the workforce. Adriana Diaz from CBS News has the story. In a final episode, Alex Trebek spoke about a personal passion. We're trying to build a gentler, kinder society. And if we all pitch in just a little bit, we're going to get there. It was a rare revelation for the straight shooter, known for keeping a straight face while guarding the questions to the world's answers in his signature sharp suits. What is the Elder Scrolls? How about omelet? What is destiny? Off camera, his son Matt Trebek says he was always helping others. He and my mom were working on putting together uh, homeless shelters and his family. He was always working around the house, so most of the time his clothes would more than likely have holes and tears. After his father's death, Matt, a New York restaurant owner, found a way for his dad to still give back by giving away his Jeopardy wardrobe. They went to the Doe Fund, a New York-based nonprofit that provides men who've struggled with homelessness, incarceration, or addiction with work, housing, training, and even dress clothes for interviews. Are you going to wear this suit on your first job interview? Sure I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> George Tucker was a perfect fit. He's turning his life around after 20 years in prison. I feel real good. I feel proud that I got a celebrity suit, you know, and that make me step up. Keep on giving. You know, he that's what he did. Well, I'm going to do the same things. Harriet McDonald is president yeah, of the Doe Fund. people lose a lot of dignity if they're homeless or incarcerated. And then all of a sudden they're in a work environment. If you wear a good suit and of course suits could be better, you fit in. What would your dad think about what you're doing? I think he'd be happy. I think this really falls in line with everything that he believed. And I think that would mean a lot to him. Adriana Diaz, CBS News. No doubt he was a good guy. In a sharp yeah, yeah. Good looking. Hey, listen, a final tally on uh, tonight on the 55th annual show of Hearts Telethon. Look at how much money you raised, BC. Together, $6,681,873. Thank you so much for donating and helping support children with special needs when the need is so great. That's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11 o'clock. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes and a report on QAnon. Good night.